Welcome back to the second episode of Talking Tense, a RaceBot TV podcast. My name is Arjuna Kenkipati, and as always, I'm joined in this uh, podcast booth by Connery Maddock with uh, veteran po- producer Hugo Luis down in the producer's booth making this all happen. And Connery, we've got an exciting show here today. We're going to be talking about the, the Porsche Esports Super Cup. We're going to be talking to RaceBot TV's own Tyler Maxson. Just quickly, you know, you were the, the lead commentator for the first time for the Porsche Esports Super Cup. Just talk to us about how that experience went. How excited were you to finally be able to, you know, lead a world championship broadcast? I was basically, well, throughout the entire broadcast, I was powered on the unholy energy of absolute nervousness. I think it's probably fair to say, but uh, yeah, we got through that. We saw some uh, fantastic racing at Brands Hatch as well, which uh, certainly helps my situation there. If I have things to talk about on track, then I don't have to uh, show my nervousness from trying to fill. But uh, yeah, everything uh, went pretty smoothly. And like I said, the racing was fantastic. Very, very respectful, even, you know, especially amongst those top 10 drivers. Uh, sort of some great battles between uh, Job and Rogers, uh, which is very important in terms of the championship. They are the top two drivers. Fluke having a good uh, couple of races as well. Johan Half uh, making an impact uh, in some instances as well. Sanchez always up there. Uh, so I think we just really in that race, in those two races, excuse me, we got a good display of uh, what the Porsche Esports Super Cup actually has to offer. Yeah, you said big shoes to fill in, in, in Martin Haven. But like you say, Brands Hatch really produced some some good racing for us. And we'll start right off the bat with the qualifying session from the Brands Hatch uh, race. And this time it wasn't Josh Rogers with the fastest time on the board. <laughs> Instead, Dane Warren with the first uh, non Coanda driver on pole position, fastest lap rather, this season. Yeah, that was a, a big surprise coming into this one because we've always seen Josh Rogers go pole position. And well, I say pole position, it's more like fastest qualifier uh, because of the reverse grids. Uh, we've seen it time and time again, week in, week out. He's usually a good margin clear of everyone else. But to see uh, Dane come out on top, that, that, was a, that was a massive, massive surprise. Uh, and it does mean that uh, Josh doesn't have his uh, watch prize confirmed uh, just yet. Uh, so we might have to wait, wait until next race to be able to actually uh, um, say that for sure uh, in, in an official sense. But um, it, it did shape up to be an absolutely, you know, because of that whole qualifying situation, it did shape up to be a very, very good race uh, in the end. Of course, we had Jamie Fluke start pole position from the sprint race, and him trying to hold on uh, to position uh, was great to see, fair defending. Uh, Sanchez did eventually uh, get by, of course, but uh, and then drove off into the sunset as everyone else was caught up in traffic. But um, yeah, uh, surprises in qualifying and some surprises in the races as well. Yeah, and no, just... Something to mention, I did say Dane Warren, the first non-Coanda driver to, to get that fastest lap, but he's obviously left Logitech Altus Esports and, and rumors circulating, Connery, that he's been spotted doing some testing with the Coanda guys. So there's the potential that Dane, who's currently running as an independent privateer right now, could be joining that, that team that's star-studded. We talked yeah. to Tommy Ostergaard last week and you know, Dane Warren would be a very solid addition to that group. 
He would be. He's a very consistent driver, I think, because you, you look at the finishing positions, you know, coming into the, uh, uh, well, that contribute to his points total. You know, very solid uh, inside top 10 finishes, uh, very well-rounded driver. I don't think he has the edge to go and win championships, at least not yet. Well, I have to see a little bit more development, but it, it would be a solid pickup for really anyone, let alone Coanda. Yeah, but let's jump into the sprint race then. And like you say, uh, Alejandro Sanchez with a fantastic pass around Jamie Fluke to move up into the sprint race lead. And then what resulted was a fantastic battle between uh, Jamie Fluke, Sebastian Job, and, and uh, uh, Joshua Rogers with some serious championship implications here. Yeah, and it's a scrap that I kind of want to see every single event now because it is absolutely amazing uh, to watch those guys. Of course, I did make the slight mistake of calling Job Scottish on one occasion. So I did call that out on broadcast, <laughs> but it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, I'm allowed a few mistakes. If Crofty's, la if Crofty's allowed a million, I'm allowed one or two. So Just the uh, one or so two. That was, that was some slight shade. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah... Uh, Still, though, it's uh, it was amazing to see those guys do business, and it's a great uh, sort of advertisement uh, for the series in general. And uh, for me, at least, though, um, I, I still have no idea who's gonna really. Uh, if I was a betting man, I still wouldn't know how to how to bet in terms of who's gonna take the championship at the end of the day because. Job, you know, he's been strong throughout the season. Rogers is Josh Rogers' previous champion. We know exactly how quick he is. Um, it's just case when it comes to a heads-up duel between the two of them, they, they seem very, very, very evenly matched at the moment. And that points, a little bit of a points buffer that Job has in the championship right now will certainly come in helpful coming into the uh, second half of the season. Yeah, well, I think it's really, really close to call. And, you know, in the sprint race, we saw Joshua Rogers making a small mistake, which let Sebastian Job through, let him start in front in the feature race. But then right at the start, uh, turn two on lap one, Sebastian Job getting a little bit wide off into the grass and Joshua Rogers slipping through. And ultimately that cost Sebastian Job quite a bit of time because he slipped back to fourth or fifth in the queue and had to fight his way back up into that third position. Meanwhile, Joshua Rogers out front, he set up Alejandro Sanchez and about, I think it was 12 or 13 minutes into the 30 minute feature found his way through, and then it was clean sailing for him. So some good championship points there. But like you say, it's too close to call. And I think importantly, Connery, we saw in both the sprint and the feature, the top three in the championship, you know, being on the podium. And so that's what mm -hmm. you really want to be seeing is these are the drivers who have consistently throughout the season being performing to a high level. And, you know, as it now all culminates uh, with this, you know, championship fight to the end of the season, well, all three drivers doing a very, very strong job right now. Some people might say that's four. Uh, some people might not count Benneker out of this yet. And I certainly wouldn't. Uh, you know, you can't underestimate him. Uh, but he's going to require some amazing results coming into the back end of the season. He needs first, second places pretty consistently uh, to be able to make up the points deficit. Or he needs all of his rivals to have an absolutely horrible one or two events. And he's he's back in the picture, you know? But uh, I think for the sake of competition, I'd love to see him uh, up there fighting with those guys, making it a four-way fight for the championship coming into the final rounds. That would be the most amazing end to the season. And I even said in the intro uh, to the Brands broadcast that this is this is shaping up to be one of the best finales to uh, an iRacing World Championship, or at least Road World Championship that we've seen, you know, with, with how close the points are. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't complain if we have three people fighting, but four people fighting would be better. Um, but 
yeah, it's it's still completely and utterly up in the air at the moment. We, uh, it's impossible to tell from this far out who's in the better place. Well, I think, you know, two weeks ago, we kind of discussed that the torrid season it's kind of been for the Red Line crew. And it didn't go smoothly for, for Max again this time. A small mistake in the feature, sorry, in the sprint race, put him off into the grass, lost him a lot of positions, but able to fight back to sixth in both the sprint and the feature. But what do you think's changed this season, Connery? Is it just that, you know, the likes of Sebastian Job and Alejandro Sanchez have really just stepped up that much, that little bit more? Because, I mean, I'm just also thinking that we saw Joshua Rogers, for example, he didn't necessarily have the easiest start to the season, let's say. And it's really been coming to, together now and just really his season's really building its momentum up now. I think for Max, he's never really been able to do that. That first race at uh, Zandvoort was really just awful for him. Two incidents and just not able to build any type of momentum. But could you see anything that he could change maybe to, to help these last few rounds and just aid that championship fight? I'm not entirely sure at this point. It's uh, it's kind of a tricky situation for Beneka at the moment. You know, he, he did very well after that first round, you know, because it was an absolutely abysmal first round, but he came back uh, at Catalonia and just smoked the rest of the field. So we we know he's certainly capable, and I and I never really doubted that. It's just that he's he's going through a bit of a a bit of a moment at the, <laughs> right now, and if he can get his season back on track, then. Uh, that 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 is uh, is beneficial, but I, I think it's an element of we have such high expectations. You know, if if another driver was in his position, uh, you know, for, you know, usually mid pack runner would be like, oh my god, he's he's doing so well. But you know, we, won't, we usually expect uh, Benneke to be challenging for these championships a little bit closer than they are now. It's definitely still not over, definitely. And if there's one person that has the speed to do it, it is him. But it's uh, he's just worked himself into a situation that he doesn't really need to be in at this point yeah and just looking at the, the the results for the season so far other than that you know the double win for him in, in Barcelona and both the sprint and the feature definitely not been easy for him so going to need a good consistent run in these last four races to see what happens someone who really used that last race at Brandsatch to kind of turn their season around though Connery was Johan Harth because we talked about him languishing you know, Dan, I think it was in 38th place with three points, uh, you know, in the last podcast. Well, a double, I think it was fifth place finish this time around. And yeah. he's bumped himself all the way up into 26th place now. So he's in there with a shout now if he can, you know, achieve this type of result a few more times in the season of locking himself back into next season and not needing to go through the qualifiers again. Yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for Johan. He's, uh, you know, an, an amazing driver and multi-talented as well. Of course, he is... Uh, uh, you know, competed the, in the Rally Cross World Championship as well. So um, it, it's it's finally, uh, I guess, makes me a little bit happy to see he's actually got himself a decent result now and he can set himself up for being inside the top 20 uh, for the end of the season because I think it would be a real loss to the series if he actually has to try and qualify again. And we know how that qualifying series can be. There's, uh, there's sometimes some big upsets, even with the drop week. So it's just... Um, I, I guess we'd rather him not go through that process and he'd rather not go through that process either because it is a very, very tough uh, schedule uh, in the Pro Series. But uh, Johan, he's, he's finally put it together and he's finally uh, got himself up to perhaps where he should be. Yeah, and that battle for the, the relegation, as we, we like to call it, is really starting to heat up a little bit more, getting much closer. And we've seen a lot of fighting throughout the field at the start of the season. It's just going to get 
more intense later on. But let's wrap up this little review section of this last race at Bransatch Connery and let's move on to another topic. And that is the topic of unwritten rules in sim racing. And this kind of came <laughs> around as a result of an incident that occurred in, in, in the Major League Baseball uh, over the last few days in which a, a player broke an, an unwritten rule to do his job in many ways and got criticized for doing that. So to just give a little bit of background to why we asked this question, um, I'm not really a baseball fan, Connery. I don't know if you know anything about baseball. Uh, I played it in school once or twice, and that's it. It doesn't, it doesn't gain a lot of traction over here in the UK. Right, so we'll, we'll just try and explain it so we can give some context to why we asked the question. So the two teams were playing. I forget which two teams they were, but one of them was leading by, I think it was like 10 to 4 with two innings left, right? So they were mm -hmm. pretty comprehensively winning the game. The bases were loaded, so obviously, you know, three players are around uh, the thing. Clearly, I know a lot about baseball, but so bases <laughs> the thing. Bases yes. are, yeah, bases are loaded. It's three and zero. Oh, so if the if the pitcher throws one more ball, they get a free run, as far as I understand it. While the pitcher decides to give him a ball straight in the zone, a very easy ball to hit, and apparently the unwritten rule in baseball is that you don't hit the ball, and you let him have your his uh, free strike, apparently. And so that prompted the question. Because I think in, in sim racing, there's not really any type of rule there. Like the mm. only type of rule that we could really think of and the only person who really understood the question that we then posed on Twitter was uh, D2D Esports who said, well, you need to leave a 10 to 15 second gap between classes in a multi-class race at the start of each race. So Conry, I'll quickly ask you before we go on to what the responses ended up being. The one response that we got that's fitted this uh, question was obviously related to multi-class racing. Can you think of any other unwritten rules in sim racing or, you know, even just oh. regular racing? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, very tough one, isn't it? I mean, give a position back if you feel you've got it, you know, in an untoward manner, you know, that that is uh, probably the weakest uh, <laughs> response that you could probably give to that question. But no one's really like immediately uh, come to mind. Uh, at this point and it's good to see all the responses on the tweet that we uh, we sent out about this um some of them taking it in a more jovial manner i think is probably uh, probably fair to say and of course in a very i racing specific manner as well of course uh, since we do a lot of i racing specific broadcasts hence the uh, hence the twitter followings but uh, uh yeah it's uh, i can't really think of ones immediately apart from apart from the uh, give the place back situation yeah, and that's, uh, I'm just trying to think here now, because uh, the one rule that I can kind of think of is if you're, uh, obviously in sim racing, we have to deal with the fact that internet latency is a thing. Well, maybe one rule that I can think of is just maybe in the famous words of Fernando Alonso, you always have to leave the space and maybe just leave <laughs> a little bit more space to accommodate everyone else. But well, something that, sorry, go ahead, Connery. Well, I mean, those sorts of rules are usually written into the regulations, right? You know, Um Crowding all the cars out for circuit, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's all Stuart's discretion. Yeah, well, you know, I, it, it's, it's an interesting topic and, and one that I thought we should pose on Twitter. However, like you say, the responses that we started to get from a lot of the community devolved into a slightly different kind of response <laughs> train. And a lot of them were very amusing. And, and one that I really appreciate was from uh, our own Paul Smith. Never ask how much fuel you need for a race 45 seconds before the race starts. So we all know, Connery, there's a lot of things that are very commonly said in, in sim racing uh, sessions. And, you know, that's one of them. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
almost every single official race, especially if you're in the lower splits, you, you have that one or two people that says, guys, how much how much fuel are we taking? How, how much fuel are we taking here? And it even happens in the skippies as well, you know, because it's like one gallon difference and uh, it can make all the difference uh, in the end uh, with uh, depending on the track. But uh, yeah, I, I that is basically, a, I mean, it, it's meant for more as for a meme, but it is kind of a unwritten rule of you have to know how much fuel you'll need before you take to the grids. I thought that was, uh, you know, a thing that most people did, but apparently not. So there we go. Yeah, and then uh, iRacing staff member Kevin Bobbitt also responded, remember that everyone is just there for the safety rating. And that's the classic turn one excuse for, uh, you know, a pileup happening, Cottery. Yeah, and, and one from our, from our guests um that'll come on a little bit later on and uh, i'm surprised i didn't think of this one when you actually asked me uh Ayuna, but don't hit your teammate that's an unwritten rule well is it an unwritten well i guess technically it is an unwritten rule if it's also the first rule of racing right because i guess you know all of these unwritten rules in in, in other sports everyone knows about them like for example in cricket you have things that are to the spirit of the game, but not necessarily co yeah. codified in the rules. So I guess that's just one of those things it's, where, you know, spirit of racing, don't hit your teammate. It's the same as in uh, football or uh, soccer, if you're from the US or whatever. But, it, you know, if someone's injured, you, you kick the ball out. And you, you, when the, you, and the other team will just throw on the throw in, we'll just throw the ball to the other team just to get the uh, uh, to the get get the game started again. And there was some controversy when that didn't happen in the Premier League once. So yeah. um, and and they just went up and just scored. And then there was this entire ten minute situation with managers and players arguing. And uh, then well, the manager for the other team had told his team to just let the uh, <laughs> let the other side score. To bring the score back even, so yep, uh, I remember that because one. they got the first goal in an unsportsmanlike way, even though it wasn't written in the rules. Um, so, so yeah, I don't think we have, we have quite anything like that. Well, we don't have anything quite like that. But I was just taking one more look at our a tweet and the responses that we got. J.R. Williams, he did say, "Don't sign up for a race in a higher class in multi-class racing if you can't outperform fast people in the class below you." Ooh. And yeah. You talk to people in IMSA and, and the ILMS series, Cottery, that might be a little bit of a sore topic there. Yeah, I mean, we've broadcasted the the official IMSA series before on the on Racebot TV Friday primetime. And even, you know, in those top splits, if you sign up as a Daytona prototype, you're probably going to end up being in a top split. That is just a guarantee. So you, you got to make sure that as a DP, you have to be at least a little bit quicker than those uh, leading those other classes, because it just causes so much mess, you know. Because the, the you know the GT LMs don't know how to deal with it. The DP is obviously struggling to keep it on the circuit if they're that slow. So it just causes absolute carnage. Uh, so I, that's a, definitely an unwritten rule that I agree with and I will push for. Yeah, and I can't, of course, forget about. The TCR kind, you might start shouting at me, some of my TCR friends who are very upset with <laughs> some of the GT4 classes as well. But one final tweet we'll just mention here from iLiveries. Hello, we need a skin design for tomorrow's race. Do you have the time? Connery, this is a feeling, <laughs> this is the kind of message that we get quite a lot here at RaceBot. Yes, uh, for those that don't know, uh, for those that are just tuning into the podcast for the first time, or is this the first RaceBot or iRacing broadcast related thing that you're listening to? 
because of the iRacing paint policy, we uh, broadcasters have to collect the paints not through a service called Trading Paints. So Trading Paints, it was, you know, you upload the paint there and it gets shared with everyone in the race that's also running that software. But we can't do that because we need to check the paints uh, beforehand uh, for uh, copyright issues and terms of service issues and things like that. Uh, so they have to submit them directly to the broadcasters. And usually we have a, a, a limit. We'd like them at least 24 hours before the broadcast. Some teams decide that a couple of hours before is more appropriate. And we don't really like that because we're busy on the couple of hours on the run-up to the broadcast. But, you know, usually that's not an issue. We can get things sorted. There are also those people that ask as the broadcast is starting that they've uploaded their paint. Which, personally, if I'm producing a race, I would just say no. But there are some nicer producers at Racebot that <laughs> do allow that and uh, are able to refresh the paint. But personally, for me, if, if I have a hard limit, like 40 minutes before the broadcast, I will copy the paints over and that is going to be it. That is it. If it's not submitted, and, it's not going on the broadcast. And I can confirm I'm the exact same way. If uh, you don't have your paint submitted a few hours before, tough luck. We have uh, other jobs to do as well. You know, this is uh, something that we take very seriously, but it's not something we can invest all our time in. However, Connery, just a quick little plug. HTTPS forward uh, colon forward slash forward slash racebot.media. Go ahead, <laughs> submit your paints there. No more concerns about naming your paints wrong oh or God. all of that. Just a little cheeky plug there, Connery. That's what we can do here. Yeah, we developed a new uh, upload solution because the drop Dropbox can be a bit weird, um, especially with people... Not submitting their user ID in the file name, which uh, makes it infinitely more difficult to try and find them, especially if your name is not unique, uh, for example. So uh, thankfully, that new upload system is now ready and ready to go, racebot-media, and uh, we'll be converting all our series over to that soon. I think Primetime is still on the Dropbox system, but we'll once uh, the new season starts, we'll, we'll get over to that. But that, that's one thing that I'm glad is probably not going to be a thing anymore because people submitting their paints with the wrong file names is one of the most annoying things because you even see it from some top teams as well. Some, yes. some top teams yes, still do. don't know how to submit their paints correctly. And uh, <laughs> we have to tell them every time, make sure you name it correctly, make sure you have the user IDs, you know, and everything. But uh, apparently the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, and we're apparently. not naming any names here. You, you no, guys know who not. you are. So racebot.media will try and solve all those uh, problems for you. But <laughs> I think it's time now, Connery, that we bring in Tyler Max. And Tyler is part of the Racebot team. He's a producer and commentator uh, for Racebot. However, he's also a TCR driver for Copeland Motorsports, currently racing in SRO Americas. Very talented kid. He's only 15 years old, so he gets to race on the track doesn't get to drive the car home after the race is all said and done. He's won the last eight races that he's competed in this season. So it's been a very, very strong season. But we're very excited to bring him in to talk a little bit more about his background in racing. Tyler, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you guys? Good. And I see you're wearing uh, all the proper merchandise here. You've got the team hat. You've got your own uh, T-shirt on right now. Looking good. Yeah. Uh, just actually ran upstairs to uh, get changed after school this morning. And um, yeah, we're here for this. Yeah, so uh, obviously, it, this is going to be a little bit different than, than last week, obviously, with Tommy, because Tyler, uh, Connery, and myself have spent a lot of time talking just in general and casually, but try and delve in a little bit more to, to some of your stories that you might have to tell Tyler, because you've got a lot of 
background behind you because I don't think a lot of people necessarily know, at least from the iRacing side, who you are because you've not necessarily done that much in terms of sim racing competition yet. You've been a lot more focused on, you know, the real racing and progressing on that side of things. Yeah, you're exactly right. And iRacing's been a tool that I've been using for a number of years now just to prep and get ready. And especially more now that I'm going into cars is because there's the tracks are laser scanned. They're identical. And they're, it really is a really big help for me when going to a track that per se I've never been to before because this is only my second season in professional racing. So I still haven't seen a lot of these tracks that we're going to over the course of the calendar some of the time. So it really has just been a great tool that I've been able to use to actually prep and get ready for all those races that we go to all over the country. And we'll kind of just talk a little bit more about the prep before we dive into some other topics in your background, because we can talk a little bit about the TCR car in particular, because you have a lot of experience over the last two years. Like you say, you've been driving in this TC, TCA and now the TCR class iRacing obviously has the Audi RS3 uh, LMS TCR car in the service, but how do you find yourself able to prepare for tracks using that car? Does it handle kind of similarly to what you would expect in your Hyundai Veloster uh, N TCR, I believe it is called? Or is it more, you know, you're just going around the track, learning different reference points, maybe feeling stuff through the force feedback that you wouldn't really get the chance to see unless you're doing a, you know, a track walk around the track? Yeah, it's definitely... I think I use it more just to get used to the way the track is working um, because it is different um, even when you go from car to car. Um, the Audi's definitely a lot different than the Hyundai is. Um, so I'm really just learning reference points, looking visual-wise, trying to get my braking markers down, trying to get turn-in points, and just basic things. So whenever I get there, I already have a big jump start, and we can go just straight into fine-tuning the car instead of chasing track and then we can fine-tune the car so it just really cuts out about a good 30 minutes of learning period whenever we already get there we can use that whole first session to immediately start prepping and working on the car of course you also come from a very young generation of races you know the, the new up-and-comers as far as tcr racing and other gt racing is concerned of course uh, you know, it might be friends with some people of your own age group that are also in that same situation. They're very young pro drivers. How many of those are also actively using sim racing to try and help them in their uh, very early careers? Yeah, I know a lot of people um, that use sim racing and even guys who have been in the in professional racing for years and years and years. They use iRacing to prep and get ready. And it really is a great, great tool. And just sim racing in general. I mean, iRacing is definitely the, the top notch, but even some of those tracks that they maybe don't have in the service yet that maybe another sim does have just getting into a sim and being able to spot your reference points and set everything up and get used to driving that track before you actually get there is just a huge huge help and you know in terms of uh the setup work as well because this is a conversation you and i have had as well we have a lot of tools in iRacing that are you know given across all the cars right so for example you have histogram data for your suspensions in almost all the cars but you know as the conversation we had a few weeks back uh, went in professional racing that kind of data isn't available to to most teams and if anything that's often only reserved for factory racing and so something that you and i kind of talked about 
with regards to the sim racing is developing your feedback style becomes very important to help your team kind of dial things in. And, and like you say, when it when you're using sim racing as a tool to develop before you even get to the track, is it that much more important to tune your feedback for both the, what the virtual car and the real car is looking for? Yeah, I think that's definitely something, but I almost feel like in in sim racing, it's a lot harder to feel those things. Like in a real car, you kind of have the seat movements that can really help you feel stuff. So you start to pick up a lot more senses through the wheel in sim racing, whereas, like I said, in the real car, you're kind of feeling it through the seat. So it's just a little bit different in how you're picking those things up, but you're kind of feeling those same sort of senses both in sim racing and in real life racing. But what you, like you said, I mean, there's so much more data we have available to us in sim racing that makes it, I don't want to say easier, but makes it easier to fine tune a car um, that we do in real life, you know, and some of the time in real life, we'll spend two or three sessions just chasing that last two or three tenths where in sim racing, you can look at all the data and have everything in front of you and be like, okay, we can make one change or two or three changes and get this done right the first time. Yeah, and I guess, you know, other advantages include being able to stop on track, reset, make that change immediately, get back out. It's a very useful tool, but let's dive back a little bit into your background then and talk a little bit about your karting experience because it's only been two years of, of racing in, in the cars, you know, full, you know, sports car kind of things, but karting you've been doing for, I think, almost 10 years at this point. And, you know, over the last three or four years, you also had the opportunity to, to travel over onto, into Europe and, and you know, compete in the, in the top levels there. So can you just talk about how you kind of got into karting and then how the initial first few years kind of went for you? How much success did you really see? Yeah, um, I got into karting. My dad raced uh, cars, kind of club racing just for fun. Um, and then my mom was actually the one who said I should get a go-kart. And we did that. I raced that for a little bit then we kind of got into the higher classes but i mean we we definitely had some a big learning curve in karting whenever you first get into it it's a big learning curve but once i kind of figured it out we started getting more and more and more competitive over the years and like you say i've been racing now for i think it was nine years um at this point so it's been a long time um that i've been racing but a good seven of that has been in karts and over those kind of final few years that I was in karting, um, I think it was 2016, I basically won everything there was to win in the U.S. And then 2017, we moved up to what is the next category up, which is junior. Um, we did that for a year. We had some pretty good success in that. And then we went to Europe in 2018, did a full year with uh, the CRG factory team in Europe. Um, I was their factory U.S. driver that they brought over to run all of the European championships, the world championships. And things like that. And then 2019, we got into cars um, and TCA uh, driving the Mazda. So just stepping back one year prior then, what does it mean to be a factory driver for a US-based team on the European circuit? Are you kind of flying back and forth, you know, for each individual, you know, race? Are you staying mostly in Europe with the team there? What type of support are you giving? Because I think factory driver and karting, I, I'm not exactly sure what that means, to be honest. Yeah, so CRG is based in Italy. Um, they're the second largest karting manufacturer in the world, but they have a U.S. division. Um, and I was their factory driver in the U.S. And then they kind of brought me, they were like, look, we want you to come run some European stuff. And I think there was times where I stayed over there for three, four weeks at a time, and then I would fly back. And then there was some times where I have to fly back because we have a race the very next weekend. So there was a lot of trips happening across the, uh, across the pond, as they would say. Um, 
but yeah, we we went there and back a lot in one year. And so you're, you know, spending a lot of time over in Europe as I guess a 12 or 13 year old at this point. Uh, are your parents coming with you? Or are you flying by yourself? And then when you're in Europe as well, how how does that all work? You know, you're so young and you know so far away from home and. I'm just really curious what type of support the team was giving you at this type of uh, this stage of your you know career development. Yeah, they were really supportive. I mean, there was times where we would spend two or three weeks at a time developing chassis and whatnot to bring to different events, and you know we would show up and have three or four different chassis. So the team was really really supportive, and I was able to do school through my online program that I still do to this day, um, and I was able to work remotely on my computer kind of whenever I could get it done and yeah that was a really big help because I think if I was in a typical school setting that would be impossible and, and so schooling is actually something we're going to discuss in a bit more detail later on but you know so after your step from carding you jump straight up into the in the TCA from what I understand How, did you not ever consider maybe doing a, a few more you know lower level type of competitions in, in, on the on the car side of things or was it always the goal to be trying to jump into the SRO level of competition and work your way up through those kind of uh, rad, uh, rungs of the ladder rather so initially actually our plan was to go run MX5 Club Global MX5 Cup that's why we actually bought the Mazda MX5 and we started along that route but then we kind of looked at it and it was like, okay, well, there's only eight weekends in an entire year. We're used to doing 30, 35 weekends in a year. Like we need some more racing. So we're like, let's go do SRO. Um, we didn't really know how it was all going to work out uh, at first. So we were kind of like, okay, we're going to do the first few races, see how it goes. Then we'll decide if we want to do the season. And then we got into that. We realized we had success instantly in that. So we were like, okay, this is now our focus um, for the rest of the year. So our focus turned then to SRO full-time and that's how we ended up doing this and we kind of abandoned uh the mx5 cup ordeal um at about the midway point in the season just because we started to have conflicting dates and we were at this point second in the championship i think it was 18 points back whenever we decided to make our um full-time switch so we then decided to go over to sro that's right actually i forgot that you were uh competing in the global mx5 cup challenge as well but I think, like you say, you got success in the SRO series right off the bat. You won, sorry, you got your po first podium, your first ever race weekend. That must have been a very good feeling. And that first season must have just been like a dream. Two-time two race winner, TCA champion, rookie of the year. And I guess it kind of just really all built up in this culmination of the effort that you guys have been doing all this time in terms of carding over in Europe and then coming over here with a lot of family support as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. And... When we, when we kind of went into SRO, obviously the first week, the first weekend was awesome. We got um, a second and then the only downside to it was actually we got turned um, heading down the hill at Coda turn two um, and we ended up eating a tire barrier. So that really set us back kind of early on and we were almost playing catch up from then on, but we were still getting out racecraft still. They just had more experience than I did at the early stages. And then we really figured it out in Sonoma. Um, that was the weekend I ended up sweeping the weekend and get a double win. So it was, that was kind of where we had figured everything out. And then from that point in the season, we were really, really focused on, okay, let's go grab this championship. We're in it with a really good shot um, to win it. We really were working long, long, long hours. The team was um, 
to get the car where it needed to be each and every weekend. And I think that's where we really capitalized on the championship. Last year, we didn't have the strongest car. We were actually one of the slowest cars in the field. Um, but we just didn't break <laughs> is really what it came down to. Every other team had mechanical failures and our car was just never broke. I think we had one mechanical failure the whole year. Um, and that was just kind of a freak thing that nobody could have even predicted. So that's really where we got that championship was just being able to have a consistent season all the way through. You know, we, me as a driver, I never took anything too risky in that season just because we knew we needed to finish every single race and capitalize when our competitors were having issues. It, it was amazing that you're able to do a lap with no brakes. Uh, there we go. There's my joke for the, uh, <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> Well, it's a kind of a very different season to the one that we're, you're in the midst of right now. So obviously TCA champion last year, and obviously the TC Americas series has a number of different TC touring car categories. So you made the jump from the TCA up into TCR this season. You're still with the same team, Copeland Motorsports. However, now you have the full-fledged Veloster and TCR car. And I think it's fair to say it's a, it's a beast of a car and it's a beast of the car to the point where I'm not saying you're not a great driver, Tyler, but you've won every single race this season. And most of them have been by a very, very comfortable margin. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, Hyundai, the, what they've done with the Veloster and TCR is absolutely incredible. The car is, it's really, really fast. I'm not going to lie. It's one of the best handling um, cars in the series. Um, but it's also, I don't think at this point it is the strongest car. We're I mean, we're considerably heavier. I think we're right now 100, almost 200 pounds heavier than the nearest car. And the lowest car is four centimeters lower than ours. So we we're really, really struggling, but we're putting in a lot of time to develop this car and just figure out how we can make it work on these new BOP adjustments. And I think that's where we've really capitalized on this season is that we were able to quickly adapt not only myself, but also the team to the new driving styles and what the car needs. And that's how we were really able to capitalize early, as, especially in Coda. Um, it was, we had a pretty close fight with my teammate, but I really won that race down to tire management. And that was one of the big things that we learned with the new tires is that they're, they're not as, they're a harder tire this year. So it's definitely a little bit more difficult to keep it under you. So that's, that was a bigger deal this year than what we even saw last year um, with the new tires. So that was a big, big thing. And we've been able to adapt the car setup to make the car work with this harder tire, as well as adapt to these new BOP changes. I think that's really how we've been able to capitalize on this season. And it's been a very interesting season. Let's just be upfront about it, right? Because obviously that Coda race happened at the beginning of the season. And then I believe you guys were already in St. Petersburg in Florida. And, you know, obviously the middle of March, that event gets, gets canceled. And, you know, the summer has kind of been a, a, a waiting game in many ways, trying to figure out where you're going to go racing and when you're going to go racing. And what's it been like for you in the last few months having to deal with this pandemic and, and still going racing? Because you're locked down at home. You are a bit more limited, I guess, on some of the things you can do. And then when you get to the track as well, I'm sure it's a very, very different experience trying to work with your team as well. Can you kind of just talk to us a little bit about the experience of a pandemic race weekend right now? Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, mass mandates have been 
um, implemented. So basically, anytime we're outside of the tent, we have to have a mask on, and that's that's just been different. Um, where you're doing, any, there's pretty much no contact now with any um, SRO employees or any officials. It's pretty much all done remotely, or it's done pre-event or whatever. Um, so it's definitely different. It's a very different aspect to a race weekend. Um, but most of it really is the same. Um, we still have our normal stuff. The only thing we are really missing the major portion is the fans, not having any fans there. So there's no autograph sessions or anything like that. So that kind of makes everything feel a little bit bare. The whole paddock kind of feels bare because you don't have anybody walking around. So it's, it's definitely different. Um, but it's still the same hard racing that we've had on the track. Well, I guess the, the one difference as well, looking at your Twitter timeline, is those podium celebrations. Not really the same as well when you're doing, you know, your elbow touches and stuff. You can't really celebrate as much on the podium as you were able to do last year. No, you're exactly right. Yeah, the podium celebrations are definitely different. They're all socially distanced at six feet out. So it's, and even in VIR, we didn't actually even have a podium presentation. We actually all just had to go to the media center ourselves and collect our trophies. So it was, it's definitely different. Um, I'm glad that we've gotten kind of back to a full on podium celebration because I think that that makes the whole race weekend feel a little bit more whole again. Um, but it definitely is a very different, a different kind of weekend. It feels like sometimes. Yeah. And uh, let's kind of move on. I said, we'll talk a little bit about your schooling and, and how you balance that. And I think this is a topic actually that sim racers can take a, can maybe learn actually quite a bit from because you know, we talked to Tommy Ostergaard last week and he talked about the dedication required to to really improve sim racing, get to the top of the top of the game. And obviously when you have the additional challenge like you have of having to travel as well, that just makes it that much more difficult. So can you kind of talk about first how it's been doing uh, online schooling in Europe? And I, obviously now as well, you're still doing online schooling. How are you... How do you find the time to balance that? I know you have a very rigid schedule you try to stick to and you try and allocate you know, times of the day where you're specifically doing your schooling, but how do you make sure you stay focused, which is, I think is a lot, is a concern for a lot of kids nowadays. Yeah, that's never really been a problem for me. I've been able to kind of always drown out distractions and just kind of focus on what I need to do. So that, that part isn't the hardest for me, but it definitely can be difficult. I mean, the first couple of weeks were definitely a struggle. And when I was going over to Europe per se, I mean, it was extremely difficult because I'm six hours ahead. I'm six hours ahead of everybody. Sorry. Um, than my teachers were. So that was definitely a little bit difficult because when it was middle of the afternoon for them, it was late night for me. So it's definitely difficult. But now that I'm kind of on the same schedule, it's made things a lot easier. But just having that flexibility of when I go to the racetrack, for example, next week, whenever I head to Road America, I'll have majority of my schoolwork already done before I even leave. So I really don't have to worry about that when I actually get to the racetrack and that can be a really really big help for me because i can focus on the task at hand which is racing and winning the race it's amazing how you I can actually juggle all of those things because uh you know obviously i was in in university until very recently and uh, uh i had to do the race ball stuff on the side as well and uh, like even something as well I, I, dare i say small as that still sort of interferes in a way with uh, with education so it's uh you know, anyone who does what you do is uh, to be commended. I mean, it's not even a foreign thing in esports because there are so many 
stories from the esports world, you know, from Counter Strike and League of Legends, where the young players are are still in school and some of them are even still in college, and they're having to try and balance being a a professional esports athlete with the schoolwork as well. So uh, you're not really in a uh, a unique position here. There seems to be a, a quite a uh, population that's actually going through the sim- a similar thing to what you are. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's becoming more and more, I want to say, normal um, to do these kind of things and to have to juggle school and everything like that. And it definitely doesn't make it any easier, but it's it's definitely becoming more normal. And I think teachers, per se, in schools are becoming more used to it. Um, people that are you know doing something like this where you're you know you're traveling a lot or there's a lot of flexibility that's needed and that's one of the things that i think a lot of people that are professional young professional athletes that are still in school that's definitely something that's really helpful is having the ability to work ahead and work on your own schedule is the main thing and that's really what's become made my life so much easier Mm -hmm is being able to work on my schedule. If I need to work at three o'clock in the morning, I can do that. Um, Whereas in a typical environment, you really can't do that. You're really kind of stuck to what this school is doing. I mean, there's there's also something to be said about having a safety net as well, because, you know, it's, you know, being a sports person in general, there's never guarantee that you'll make it big in a way, Uh, you know, perhaps in esports more than any other with the amount of people that try it. But uh, you know that that education is valuable just in case you, you you're not a professional race car driver for a living into your adulthoods. You know, is is there something that you particularly would want to fall back on? Is there like an insurance policy that uh, or an area that you want to go into as a full time job just in case things don't work out? To be honest with you, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought. Um, obviously, <laughs> I work with you guys at RaceBot, and I really enjoy doing this. So this is definitely something that I probably would pursue is something along those lines, but. I really don't know, to be honest with you. This has kind of been my whole life. And I'm obviously, you know, I'm in school to get that backup plan. And, you know, like you said, there's no guarantees on this. I mean, even if you do make it big, there's no guarantee that even next year you're going Mm. to have the same ride. You know, there's no guarantee after your current contract ends that your next contract is going to be able to support you fully. So it's one of those things that you always need to have that backup plan. And, at this point, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but um, I'll definitely have something um, in case the racing thing doesn't work out. And just to circle back then on, on something, uh, Tyler, that you said, because I think, like you say, you're in a, a more fortunate position now that you're able to more control your schedule. But if you think back to those days when you, you were back in Europe and having to you know be up at odd hours to try and stick on the school schedule, what were the... Can you maybe think of any tips that you could give to some of our viewers? Because I think, you know, sim racing is such a global sport, you know, sport at this point that I think that is a, is a thing that we all have to deal with. So, you know, if there's anything that you kind of had learned about being, finding ways to make, you know, learn effectively, even maybe at two in the morning, for example, if you were in Europe and, you know, studying in the evening, the US time, what were the kind of things that you tried to do to, to be a bit more effective then? Definitely don't fall behind. Um, That's the biggest thing is that you always kind of want to stay ahead of what's going on um, instead of falling behind because I found that out quite quickly Um, whenever I came back and had about half a week's worth of work to do. It's definitely, it's easier to be ahead than it is to be behind. So that's the biggest thing that I can say is just don't let something, don't fall too far behind anything 
um, try to always stay ahead of the head of what's going on. So it sounds like you're not really, a, I mean, I know you're not really a procrastinator, but for the people who are watching, you're not a procrastinator, right? You're, you're, you're someone who's definitely very driven and you're always trying to work towards a goal. And I think that's something that's helped you in, in, in both the educational parts of things and, and being able to succeed there and also growing in, in your racing career as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I definitely don't like, I don't like anything to be outstanding or to be behind on anything. Um, I like to have everything done ahead of time. And, and that's really a big, big thing that you'll learn with online school. If anyone who ever does it is that you need to learn that skill if you don't have it very quickly, because if not, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. And I guess a, a lot of people can empathize with that, especially if they're, you know, still in college or still in school, like learning from home is so much more difficult for me at least than learning in a you know an actual uh, uh classroom or lecture theater or anything like that it's uh it's hard to get in the zone uh so to speak it's hard to separate your life outside the school and your life inside school because they're both happening in the same place now yeah you're exactly right it's definitely it's definitely different um but it's something that i think over time i've adapted to and luckily, I'm in a very awesome program that allows me that is really built um, really, really well. So I don't for me, it was a very easy transition just to kind of transition over and get used to the new way of doing things. And now that I've been doing it for a couple of years now, it's just like second nature to me on how everything's done. And um, I think that, it, yeah, it's definitely can be challenging. At first, it was very challenging. It was eight, nine hour days. Um, but now I can get all of my work done in a matter of two or three hours um, for the day. So it's definitely a learning curve, but once you get it, it makes it a lot easier. And so Tyler, the final topic that we kind of wanted to talk to you about is, you know, obviously being part of the, the Hyundai program, because you, you started last year in the TCA class with the manufacturer, you jumped up into the, you know, more professional racing car this year, and you had the opportunity to also be, I think it was be part of the training. So at the very least, you're going to be able to say the brand name a little bit more accurately than I can. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, at the beginning of the year, we did the Hyundai driver development um, kind of camp that they did. They did a four or five day camp that Brian Hurd Autosport put on um, up in Indianapolis. And we did that. And yeah, like you say, Hyundai's an awesome brand to work with. The Hyundai guys in Hyundai America, who I primarily deal with, um, they're awesome to work with. They're a great group. Um, the support so far has been absolutely amazing. We've had an engineer at every race and they continue to provide that support for us. So it's made the transition into TCR a lot easier, which can be a big, a big step up because for me, at least last year, I was in a rear wheel drive car. Now I'm in a front wheel drive car that has a lot more uniquenesses to it. There's a lot more things that can go wrong with a TCR car just because it is a professionally built race car. I mean, it is a purpose-built race car. It's not a car that was transitioned into a race car. So it can be a lot more difficult if you don't have that kind of support behind you to get, uh, to get progressed, um, I should say, in this season. So yeah, the support from Hyundai has been absolutely amazing. And uh, hopefully we can uh, continue that relationship. Yeah, and so we'll kind of talk about that as well because you're not yet 16, so there are certain restrictions on which series you are actually able to drive in, but you're approaching that milestone, your 16th birthday. You'll actually be able to drive a car on the, the roads for the first time, which I'm sure your parents are enjoying the prospect of. But what's the future look like? Obviously, SRO America's 
this season is looking very good to secure a second consecutive championship. What's the next step? Is it something like IMSA and and stepping up into the pilot challenge there in the TCR cars? And then what's after that as well? Are, are you looking to stay in sports car racing or, or, or what's your, you know, if you had to dream, what's your ultimate dream, you know, racing seat? So to answer your dream racing seat question, I would definitely say something in the sports car ladder. Um, that's definitely kind of where I want to stay. Um, I really like this aspect of racing. This has really fit well to me. Um, and I'm definitely looking into getting into endurance racing. That's kind of the next thing that I personally want to get into. But as far as what comes next, I don't know yet. Um, you know, that we definitely have aspirations to go into IMSA. And that is something I can do whenever I turn 16, luckily. Um, but there is, it's, there's no guarantee, I don't think, yet on what's next. I don't have a, a set plan on what's next. So we just kind of have to see what the future holds. Yeah, and I guess obviously things are obviously in turmoil now as well, because I'm sure even if you had any plans that had been set at the beginning of the year for for next year, obviously with with everything that's happened over the last few months, things have changed. And even the the scope of the the class that you're racing in from race to race now, it, it's changing every week. You know, I think you said at Coda you were you had four other cars you were competing against. Then the first race back after lockdown at VIR, I think you said ten, and then. That trip all the way out to Sonoma only had, again, four cars. So it's a very interesting series for you to kind of think about long term, I guess. Yeah, and that's something that's been a big deal. You know, like you say, at the beginning of this year, things looked a lot different than they do now. And that's not even only for a series side, but that's just across motorsport. It's been a big, big shakeup. And this has really hurt the whole motorsports industry just because it's a very it's a very hard thing to rebound from because at the end of the day, motorsports is a very expensive industry. And a lot of people had a, a lot of big financial hits during this pandemic. So it's made a lot of things really change. I should say. Um, and it's also made things, but it's also made some things more interesting. Like, you know, we did not expect to have, I think we had 10 or 12 cars at a VIR. Um, and then again, we didn't expect to have four cars at Sonoma. So like you said, it's a very different thing every single race, but it's, it's one of those things that we just have to keep on racing, no matter how many people we are racing and do it to the best of our abilities. Awesome. Well, Tyler, I think that's all the questions we have for you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're part of the race bot team, so we, we, we expected you to join us. Otherwise we would have fired you, but nevertheless, <laughs> it, it was great to be able to talk a little bit more about some of the things that I don't think anyone in iRacing is really going to know that, you know, there's this 15 year old kid who's out there, you know, doing SRO America's winning races consistently. who's also producing world championship broadcasts. So yeah, thank you for joining us and good luck for the rest of the season. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. So that was Tyler Maxson. Race Bot's own and TCR driver for Copeland Motorsports in SRO Americas. We're going to wrap up here for the second episode of Talking Tents with a brief preview of the upcoming endurance season, the upcoming in winter endurance season even, because Connery, two of the big leads, were on the precipice of them returning. Sports Car Open and Neo Sports Car Open. The signups actually closed this coming weekend, August 23rd, with pre-qualifying happen happening in just a few weeks' time. And there you can actually see the full schedule on your screen. Seven events, the longest schedule the SEO has ever had. Open qualifying broadcast for every single race, as is promising to be one of the biggest and best series, uh, sorry, seasons 
for Sports Car Open broadcast all live on Racebot TV and the iRacing Esports Network. Yeah, uh, SEO always a, a brilliant series. I've always enjoyed uh, lending my voice to that series. It's uh, plays host to have some absolutely amazing racing, and uh, to get it going again, and for this season, for it to be the longest season uh, that we've had so far in that series, it's uh, it's going to be an absolute blast. There's some absolute bangers on the calendar, uh, shall we say? That I'm going to be very much looking forward to and uh, of course you know with the current signups as they are right now of course pre-qualifying for those teams that uh, need to do it uh, that in and of itself is very very competitive i'd be very interested to see what sort of teams that we actually get through that process considering upsets can and do happen but uh, yeah i just can't wait to get that season started and uh, we'll see who comes out with the champion uh, early next year yeah and for those who are watching live on our RaceBot uh, channels. You'll see some images from the last season of the SCO, SCO3, I do believe. But in a few seconds, you'll also see the invited listed teams for the upcoming season, because obviously invites were given mm. out in the end of last season. There you go. You can see there's, I think, seven or eight teams in that prototype class, seven or eight teams in the GTE class, and then just three cars in the GT3 class. A new class format this year, Connery, the LMP car, LMP1 class has been dropped from SEO competition. The LMP2 car, the brand new car that's going to be released in the upcoming build, takes its place as the flagship class of this series. And the GT3 machines get added just for a little bit more multi-class fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, just look at the names. Like That's all I really need to say there. Look at the names. Co uh, Team Redline, Course in Racing, Race Clutch, Mavano. Uh, others like Chimera, Sim. So it's basically the who's who as far as uh, racing sim racing competition is concerned. You got Williams Esports in there as well, SimRC. It's uh, just a, a huge smattering of these big teams and big teams that uh, have absolutely no problems with uh, competing up against each other and sometimes getting a little bit forceful about it. So it's uh, it's going to be an absolutely amazing season and you know just looking at that those are the teams already invited let alone those that have actually have to go through the pre-qualification process yeah exactly and storylines have already started to emerge here connery because all of these teams can switch their invites around so what we saw is that last year's lmb2 defending champions rev match esports well they swapped with simrc so they no longer are defending the LMP2 title. Instead, they're going to be racing in the GTE class under the name G-Drive Racing Eximia, a new team that we've kind of seen really taking the iRacing Esports Network by storm. Another storyline in that LMP2 class, while Simsa Esports LMP2 last year having a very close run at the title. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of bad luck along the way. We're not going to irritate Fraser and Alex too much by bringing that back up, but... The drivers for that car, Fraser Williamson, Alex Trainer, well, they've left that team. They moved over to Mavano Sim Racing. And they're actually going to have to re-qualify themselves in a second Mavano entry. Mavano obviously already having one car entered in LMP2 invited. Con Connery, it's interesting to see that LMP2 class with this new car being entered, it's really getting shaken up in a big way right now. Yeah, I, I don't see... Uh... I don't see Fraser Williamson and co decide to, well, uh, actually not get themselves uh, qualified in. I think they're going to come top of pre-qualification for that class uh, pretty much every single day of the week. You know, of course, uh, even though it is in the new LMP2, it's, uh, there's still some transferable skills 
uh, on that side, so you know it wouldn't be a problem for them. But uh, I'm just very interested to see who's actually going to take the seats of the the, the the available seats in that SimCity esports car because there's. Uh, you know, those two were basically their best LMP2 drivers, you know, and they didn't really have anyone that could uh, be an easy replacement uh, in that car. So we will just have to see what exactly that situation is there with uh, with Simsa. Yeah, and I'm just taking a look right now at the website and interestingly it's a decent I'm, I'm not trying to say they're bad drivers here because you've got the likes of tim graven lewis goodway timu toika uh remez azam riley thompson gustas grinberger so you've got two real life racing drivers there but at the same time connery i think both of us are in the same we're in agreement here fraser williamson and, and alex trainer like you say two of the quickest lmp2 drivers and replacing them is going to be a big feat for the simpson squad yeah, and uh, if they don't get those drivers uh, up to speed in that car, then they might uh, risk for, uh, falling out of the automatic qualification spots for the, the season after next, uh, shall we say. So it's going to very be very, very tough for them to hold on unless they're able to find uh, those drivers that can get up to speed very, very quickly. So it's, it's going to be a storyline coming into that season, I think. I'll, I'll have to note it down on my, on my notepad somewhere. I do have a, a specific a commentary notepad that I use for, for all my stuff. So that's definitely going to be a point that's going to go on that. Yeah, and so pre-qualifying, again, August 30th. So a week and a half away. The signups do open a week before August 23rd. So if you haven't signed up already, do make sure you go ahead and do that. It's currently looking like we're going to have a record number of entries as well. So the biggest SEO season shaping up. And then Connery will quickly just talk about the 24-hour E-Series. Used to be referred to or used to be called rather Neo Endurance. Well, signups have just opened for that uh, series. You can head to neo-endurance.com to sign up. The first race for the series, October 25th. So still some time away. But the interesting news here, the GT4 class being added to introduce a four-class structure to the series. And then additionally, using the same schedule as last year, with just one minor change to swap out some American tracks. So a little mm. bit more familiar in terms of this series here, Connery, because SEO going through a huge shakeup across the board, Neo looking a little bit more consistent year on year right now. Yeah, just the differences between the the uh, the, the two organizations there, of course. The, the naming, you know, of the official endorsement from the 24-hour series does uh, remain in that instance. Yeah, I, I does... Part of me does hope that they get the naming at least somewhat consistent because, of course, there's currently the virtual 24-hour series esports thing going on with all the real-life teams and <laughs> and <laughs> it can be easily confused with uh, with the actual esports teams. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise, you know, it's shaping up to be a great season once again. Uh, these premier endurance series on iRacing always give an absolutely brilliant show and it's always a privilege to broadcast them here on race spot and uh it's, it's just a case of the drivers delivering drivers and teams no matter if it's a different set of drivers and teams and a different organizer different uh, set of stewards uh they always seem to be able to provide uh, some of the best content that we have on race spot yeah and i don't know what you're talking about connery it's pretty easy here you've got the virtual 24-hour series which is the real life <laughs> virtual series so that the series for real life teams doing the virtual racing and you got the 24-hour e-series 
which is the virtual series for virtual teams. No co- confusion there at all. Very easy. <laughs> sure, we'll say yeah, that. Like, we'll say that. <laughs> yeah, like you say, uh, the competition level is just incredible. I, going back to SEO for a second, because one of the organizers sent me over some, as he put them, useless average I rating statistics, because <laughs> we all know that I rating isn't the only measure of performance you can have. Well, the average I rating across all teams right now, Connery, is upwards of 5,000 I rating. If you just look at the GTE class, the average I rating of the invited confirmed teams and their drivers, 7,224 I rating. We are going to be in for some really, really spectacular racing this winter. I I, I think so too. I I can't wait to get those started. Uh, Usually 7,000 I rating is a decent top split special event strength of field so <laughs> to see that in the league is incredible so it's going to be incredibly close at, at the front of that particular class as well it's uh, going to be absolutely insane and uh, you know a lot of people at least over recent times especially with big prize pools coming into sim racing has kind of have kind of like shoved these private leagues aside because they don't have the funding they don't have the massive prize pools to yeah. you know be able to become a what we call a premier event in 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 esports but they still they still attract the numbers they they still attract the teams they still attract the viewers as well so uh, even though there isn't a multiple thousands of dollars to for the race uh, for the series winner it's uh, it, it just goes to show that it it doesn't you don't really need that sort of, that encouragement to find good racing. Yeah, and just to take that a step further as well, it's not just good racing and 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 all of that. The organization, the commitment from everyone that's involved for both the sports car open and Neo, it really just reflects in the the quality of the racing that shows. Because I mean, live race control. I mean, new for this year for the twenty four hour E series is a brand new manual BOP team. And they've got not just one class to balance here, Connery, but they've got two classes. Obviously, the GT4 class, brand new. We've just got the BMW M4. So there's going to be a decent amount of work for these organizers to do. And I'm interested to see how this balance of performance is going to work because obviously iRacing now allows you to modify the power output of each car as well. So you've got two ways to balance cars. You've got the power and the weight. And Neo has always been a fan of doing a race to race by race BOP and that's going to make the car selection choice that much more difficult. Yeah, it really is. You know, sometimes the, I mean, I'm sure Tyler will, uh, will tell you the, the, the BOP issues he's had in the real world, but uh, <laughs> some tracks, the BOP favors you, some ta- tracks, it doesn't. And that, that, that's just the, the way things work out sometimes, you know, even in, uh, even in real racing. So uh, whether or not that will affect the championship standings all that much or affect the actual decisions that the teams have to make, that, that still remains to be seen. It depends what method is employed in terms of how the race administrators are going to uh, BOP each class. Uh, for example, it's it's going to be a tough one to work out, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, we'll wait and see. And like I say, signups are still open for now. Head to sportscaropen.eu uh, before August 23rd to sign up for that. You can head over to neo-endurance.com as well. You've got a little bit more time there. The first race, not until the end of October. But like I say, sports car open the first race September 23rd. So that's coming quickly and we cannot wait to get the coverage started here on RaceBot TV. However, I think, Connery, that's going to be it for us here from the second episode of Talking Tense. Thank you to everyone 
who's joined us live across all the race spot channels facebook youtube twitch twitter i think i got all four there and additionally for everyone who's listening in after the fact to the podcast in audio form it's now available on spot spotify and a few other sources as well we're slowly getting that rolled out to more platforms including itunes and google play we'll hopefully have that up in a few weeks time just working on some minor kinks there but thank you to tyler maxim for joining us a great interview there learning a little bit more about a 15 year old race winner in the sro americas and connery maddock one of the voices of the porsche esports super cup joining us to discuss that last race from Brands Hatch. My name has been Arjuna Kankipati, and for Hugo Luis down in the production booth, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in a few weeks' time for episode three of Talking Tense.